To have passion in life is everything. What's your Everest? Oh, is it yeah. that 200 inch box? They just look so impressive when they're wide. Especially running away. <laughs> Welcome to this week's episode of Eastman's Elevated. It's like a think tank for outdoor activity. Sounds exactly like my hunting. Just always thinking about it, always trying to evolve it and make it better. Here's your host, Brian Barney. Hey, what's happening, guys? Got a brand new Eastman's Elevated for you. So this week on the podcast, I have back on my good buddy, Dan Haverin. So Dan came down and we were going shed hunting and, and it's a bit of rite of passage that if you, if you come down and we're going to hang out and go do something, I'm probably going to get you on the microphone and hit record. And, and the reality of the situation is, is that, you know, me and Dan or me and my buddies, we'd be having these same conversations, whether I, I, I turn the microphone on or, or not like, um, you know, our conversations tend to revolve around bow hunting. We just, um, it, it's in our, it runs through our blood. It's our passion. And so, you know, that's what we talk about a lot of times. And so it's no different here. Dan came down, um, we're, we're going to go shed hunting. And so I get him on the podcast. We hit record. The theme of today's podcast is a good one. And I think this is one of the best conversations that me and Dan have had on mic. So, uh, the theme for today's show is backpack hunting, and it, it's just, it's such an important skill to have. Um, you know, it's the the easiest way to separate yourself from the pressure is just by effort, uh, getting into this these remote stretches of country, and, and having the know-how and the skills is so important, but you, you can just, you can access, you know, the, the toughest wildernesses or the toughest backcountry and, and get back in there and, and, and hunt game animals that are unpressured and, and get away from the hunting pressure. And also I found that these skills translate to, to hunting high pressure units or roaded units. It, you, you look at country a little bit different and in a roaded unit, a lot of guys are driving the roads or day hunting from their pickup trucks, but not many guys are sticking a backpack on their back and then leaving for five days and going and finding these the stretches of country that don't have any roads for 10 square miles or 20 square miles or 30 square miles. And then you get into that remote country and you've got it all to yourself in there. And, and it's where you can really find some quality hunting and it's the, the purest experience that I think you can get when you disappear with a backpack on your back. And so, um, it's a really fun podcast. I really enjoyed laying it down with Dan and, uh, I think you guys will enjoy it too. The sponsor for today's show is Matthews Bows. Um, I have fallen in love with Matthews, the brand, and Matthews Bows and the product they're putting out. I really believe they're the best bows made. Um, they're so forgiving. They're getting great performance out of them. They're quiet. Um, they just check absolutely all the boxes for me. So this year I'm shooting that Verdix. And I told you guys when I got it that there was going to be some critters that hit the deck this year. And uh, this bow has not disappointed. I put in my work with this bow, um, but it just fits me. It's an extension of my arm. I know it inside and out. And so far, 2019, um, I mean, I've pretty much hit every animal I've shot at, you know, in the vitals. Uh, you know, I would say I've hit every animal I've I've shot at perfectly, but you know, there's been a little high, a little low, or here and there. But I've got every animal I've shot at, and and that, you know, started with coos deer in Arizona, small target, long shots, perfect shot on that. New Zealand, um, there's a few critters in New Zealand, a couple tar, 
and then able to kill a fallow deer, um, all great shots on those animals. And then right into 2019, um, the, the bear I just harvested uh, made a perfect shot on him as well. Uh, this Matthews is just a shooter. They just build forgiving bows. Um, yeah, I can't say enough good things about it. Uh, I've just fallen in love with this thing, and there's going to be more animals hit the deck yet because this thing is just shooting. It just likes to find the bullseye for me, but... Um, I've got it set up, dialed in, uh, absolutely in love with these bows. If you guys are in the market for a new bow, uh, you know, it, it just helps to just go out and shoot them and just compare it to some of the other bows out there. And I know you guys are going to fall in love with it and like it. So check them out. I'm shooting that new verdicts and, um, that thing is an absolute shooter. So thanks to Matthews. The other sponsor for today's show, um, is tech new. So uh, right now we're getting into poison oak and poison ivy season. Um, that stuff is miserable. So it's actually the oil on the leaves that gets on you, and, um, and and then you can break out, you can itch, it's miserable. Like I've had it on my dog before where we go fishing on the river and he runs through it, and then I pet him when I get home and then break out. But this um, to have some tech new around, it actually removes the oil from it. And so um, a lot of times poison oak, poison ivy, you'll get into it and it's on your clothes and you'll rub it on your truck seat, on your steering wheel. And Techni will actually remove the oil from it. Uh, it also has some other uses, um, you know, how it it works by removing the oil. So if you get sap on you or sap on your clothes, it'll remove that. Um, also, the skunk smell, if your dog gets into a skunk. Uh, everybody knows that tomato juice does not work, and uh, Technu does. A bath in Technu. Technu attacks the oil, and the oil is what um, permeates itself with that skunk smell and attaches itself to your dog. So, anyways, if you get into a skunk, there's a story of Ike Eastman that drove his wife's car through a puddle that there was a dead skunk laying in and sprayed it all over the car. And the car stunk like a skunk for like the next week until he washed it in tech news. So anyways, it's a really cool product. It's great to have around or have in the truck or have in the medicine cabinet just in case you get into that poison oak or poison ivy. And also be on the lookout for their first aid gel. Uh, it's just an amazing product. Um, I know the Brandon Mason, he talked about using it. His boy got burnt on a wood stove like in a wall tent and used it and how much quicker you heal. And I think it'd be a good thing to have in your backcountry kit for blisters because I hear it it heals blisters or sores really quick. You know, if you were to get a blister, it'd be a good thing to put on it to heal it. So um, Tech New, thanks to those guys for sponsoring the podcast. And over there at Eastman's, um, yeah, we're just cruising along, putting out good magazines. Um, yeah, good Beyond the Grid, which is our internet TV that show. Uh, you know, and then also... Um, our show on the outdoor channel, Eastman's Hunting TV. Um, I had that Nevada hunt come out. Um, I think it turned out really well. I think it's the best one I've ever done. So I'm really proud of that one. So that one's out. Be on the lookout for that or set your DVR. And um, yeah, we're just cruising along. I mean, I can't believe we're already into summertime here and um, cruising towards uh, uh, fall and hunting season and a time we all look forward to. So yeah, it's time to to put in the work and train. And, and uh, so that's, I've been I've been putting on my miles and, and shooting and doing everything necessary I need to do and just trying to draw some tags here and figure out my season. I haven't been too lucky yet, but um, you know I know I've got some tags and I've always got backup plans, so we'll just see what we get here with these last couple states and go from there. But um, We still have our code for the podcast. 
Really appreciate your guys' support on this. So um, for a subscription to the Eastman's Hunting Journal and the Eastman's Bow Journal, you can get it for $29.99 plus the MRS book. The MRS book is the Members Research section and it just gives you a ton of information on different states different units um you know the the terrain in that unit the hunting pressure they break down every category they can break down they do a great job of getting you good information and over the years i have used this as a major resource to be able to learn about different states and where quality hunting is and it just gives you a feel or a roadmap of of where the good units are in these states so you can start to think about an out-of-state muley hunt or an out-of-state elk Um, So it's just such a great resource. So that promo code text elevated 319 to 22828. It'll get you a subscription that MRS book for uh, $29.99. And uh, it's just a deal. I've been running to my mailbox for Eastman's hunting magazines um, for as long as I can remember since I was 18 years old or 20 years old. Um, I have always just loved reading them and continue to love to read them. So um, that's that. Uh, make sure to check that out, and uh, let's get into this podcast. So um, my good buddy Dan Heverin uh, and and uh, me, your host Brian Barney, Eastman's Elevated. Here we go. Okay, I'm here on the podcast. Uh, got my buddy Dan Heverin sitting here, and we're gonna go uh, do some shed hunting tomorrow. So he came down for a Friday night. And- Get a good early go in the morning, see if we can't stumble upon some brown bones out there. Heck yeah. A lot of snow on the ground still. It's going to be a lot of post holing, but uh, we'll figure it out. Oh my gosh, it's so much post holing. I had to turn up my volume just a little bit more here as I get talking. Yeah. So I can hear you. But yeah. yeah, so we're just sitting in the basement. Dan ran down. Um, we get talking bow hunting like always. It's just like, I just need to get us on the podcast and hit record. I really wanted to get together with you tonight and try to record one on backpack bow hunting. Oh, yeah. Like, I just think that's the best adventure, the best bang for your buck, and taking mm-hmm. advantage of that wilderness. Like, it's tough out there, but the, it's just like the one way you can really separate yourself from the pressure. It's just by by effort and hard work, getting back into that, you know, into that backcountry, into that wilderness, into that untouched country, and find those animals that have been unpressured. And, like, you just... um. It's you versus the animals instead of you versus the hunting pressure trying to get an animal. You know? Yeah, exactly. It's an extreme hunt. If you want to do extreme hunting and really push your body, your mind, your buddy that's with you, and you want a great experience, I mean, it, that's where it's at. I mean, you know, camping in a tent or a wall tent or even a camper for that matter, it's fun for sure. It's a lot easier on a guy, but backpacking, I think you're, the experience you're going to get is a completely different experience. Mm-hmm. It's, it's so pure, isn't it? It is. It yeah. is. What you're going to see and what you're going to experience and just what you're going to hear. You know, how many nights have we been under the moon and stars and they're like, what was that, man? I mean, it, we've had some crazy experiences. Some of the best nights we've ever had out hunting has been with the backpack. I mean, not even having a tent with us. We've just done bivy sacks. We've done a tarp. We've done nothing. We, I mean, just we just figured it out, you know. So yeah, I th- I think it's pretty cool. You know, backpack um, opens up the doors to do a lot of different things. You can put on as many miles as you want and not have to worry about stopping at some time and turning back and going back to camp. You're you're back there. You got what you need with you. I mean, yeah, it's you can be maybe slow going if you if you're a type of guy that has a, you know, a ton of water, ton of food, a lot of stuff in your pack. But you learn. It only takes one or two trips, and you're like, uh, uh-uh, I'll never do that again. You know, you go as light as you can. But I mean, how many positives are there? 
I mean, tons and tons, countless positives in my mind. If you're willing to do it, I mean, you're there, you're, you're quiet. You're, I mean, you never have to stop. You never have to turn back. You can just make a huge loop if you want or, I mean, just keep going. So. And it's a, it's a feeling you get, like being back there, like on your own, uh, held to all your own devices, everything you can fit in your pack. You've got to carry yep. all that, uh, that weight. Like, like everything is hard earned uh, and, and everything is in sweat equity. Everywhere you got to get, every vantage point you got to get to, you know, every new camp spot, like it's all earned, but it, it just feels, it does, it feels so pure and, and such a pure way to hunt. And, you know, I think it is a mix and match out West. Like sometimes, you know, this country, you know, wilderness can be tough too, where you can put mile upon mile and, and not run into your target deer or your target elk or not even find groups of those animals back there. You can't cover as much country as you can using a vehicle and yeah. accessing different vantage points. And so it's a different style of hunting, but I think everybody needs to have the these trips and these skills in their repertoire to go into the but, wilderness. But I think like with a backpack, you're not willing to camp at a get out of my get out of there cat um camp at a campsite or camp at a flat spot i think when you're backpack hunting and you you do strike out at at a your favorite drainage or your your favorite spot that your go-to spot that you scouted all year and all of a sudden the sheep's got every deer or elk blown out of the country you have to make a move you're more likely to make a move and be completely fine with it with a backpack on your you know camping wherever you wherever you can figure out to camp i mean how many times we camp high mountain almost a different spot every night if we have to we do we'll move around i mean we'll do one maybe two nights in the same spot but it seems like we will bounce around i mean we don't have to have the exact same spot we don't we don't even have to leave our camp there we can have it on our packs all day with us well in those skills and that confidence in being able to survive out in the wilderness or out in the backcountry or disappear off trail all those skills, they transpose to other styles of hunting. Mm-hmm. Whether you're truck hunting and you can just disappear with a pack on your back and be gone for an overnighter or a two-nighter to go mm-hmm. cover country. Because there's a lot of like, um, sometimes it's it's advantageous to be a backpack hunter in a truck hunting spot. Like <laughs> you go access country that guys aren't willing to go to. So just yep. having that skill set is an advantage in itself for all hunts. But yeah, going deep into that wilderness... I mean, me and you, the biggest critters we've ever found that we've ever seen are deep in the wilderness, away yep. from human pressure, where they can grow up to be six, seven, eight years old, where they, they grow stickers and kickers and inlines and, and droppers. And, and, and the deer and elk that we dream about are out there on those vast tracts of land. It's just about covering miles and turning up those spots, having the skills to be able to survive back there and have the, having mm-hmm. the confidence oh, yeah. to be able to hunt it. And then putting in the miles, so I I kind of want to break it down for for new guys that are new to backpack hunting because it it is such a learning curve and like you say one two trips and you start learning you definitely start learning but it's something that it takes a long time to master years and years of making mistakes and how much water where am I going to get water so I guess maybe we start with the essentials like what's the essential mindset for a backpack hunter I mean. So I'm going to answer my own question here and then I'll ask you. <laughs> but I, I think it's like being a minimalist, like a minimalist attitude towards everything. The less weight, like that weight on your back just grinds on you. It's just the equalizer. Changes your attitude. Weight and the elevation that you have to climb, it'll ruin your mood and ruin your 
your your inhibitions and your your mm-hmm. not your inhibitions but your your excitement and your enthusiasm to get in there and to hunt hard these plans you make all year long all of a sudden you stick weight on your back and you start climbing uphill and you go climb three or four thousand vertical feet and you start questioning your sanity and then you don't see any deer and you go well now what do i do so yeah. you, you know it definitely takes a a hardened mind i guess Let's let's start with the gear. So minimalist is definitely like the attitude you want to have. Like, what do you think the the most important thing to being a good backpack hunter is? I think you hit it on the head, kind of. Um, water is a really really big deal, and I hate carrying water. I like so heavy. So yeah. So ideally, um, all this stuff that's out, this Onyx maps that's out, um, you know, GPS. I mean, anything um, Google Earth, anything that we use, use it. Find water, find where springs are. I mean, use the correct dates and actually try to find where water is so you can so you can save all that weight. You can have plans. Like even if you've never been to a spot before, like I've seen it, I've seen it on the map before. I know there's gotta be water up here somewhere. Just having the map that in the back of your mind, or when you do a hike in and you do you're finding water everywhere, dump your water out. I mean, go as light as you can. I mean, you don't need a two man tent when when you're by yourself. I mean you just go as light as possible. I mean, spend a little extra money on this higher end gear that makes a huge difference. I mean, it's changed the game since we started hunting together years ago. I mean, the, this new equipment we have, these jackets, everything that we carry is super lightweight and durable. And it, you know, it lasts for us and it really works. Yep. You bring up a good point about water. So water is a key element of the backcountry, and a lot of the good spots we've found are void of water because mm-hmm. humans can't live up there. You know, a guy hikes up there with 32 ounces of water. He's only got enough for the day, yep. and then he's got to go out of there. So one of our biggest advantage is 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 to be able to get into country and be able to live up there and, and finding, like you said, those secret springs, those mm-hmm. seeps and things. Like there's water up in the backcountry, and the more you hike around and research, scouting is key, and, and also just making a good game plan for water, like – it, it is the most important thing in the backcountry because you can't go days without it. And so you've got a plan to fill up at the nearest lake. Um, I, I've, uh, I think about Wyoming. I wasn't with you on this trip, but I've filled up in an elk waller before, you mm-hmm. know, like sometimes you're on that ridge oh, yeah. and to go get water, the nearest lake is 1500 feet down and, yep. and to drop down. And I had this spot I scouted the last time I hunted Wyoming and you had that tag that year too. And I found these big bucks and they were around a pond, and great, they're around a pond. Like, I can get water there. There's a vantage point on the hill. But that pond also allowed the horse hunters to come in there and water their stock there yep. and then graze their horses there. And even though it was more than 10 miles back, that's nothing on horseback. Yeah. And so when I got in there, there was already a horse camp in the <laughs> pond <laughs> that I wanted to sleep. Yeah. There was a guy on the vantage point with a with – a, uh, uh, camp chair sitting on the oh, vantage point that I wanted to be on and I had to adapt my plans you yeah. know all of a sudden there's guys back there but I think that's a nice thing is the wilderness you can still get away from guys but you definitely got to have a good water plan I've also seen guys running those water bags that carry them and we've always ran the 100 ounce bladders yes and yep. then a couple now jeans or two 100 ounce bladders yeah. so we can fill up water and have enough for multiple days and I think that's important I see guys they'll run carrying cases of water that that have handles on them where they can fill up a lot of water and get back usually for us 150 ounces or so gets us through three days like that's usually what we go for and then try to live but you you make a good point with water yeah those high mountain hunts when that sun's blazing on you and you're you're on a stock 
I mean, you only bring so much water with you. Get back to camp or get back to your backpack. You want to you want to get hydrated. Stay yep. hydrated as best you can. So, and then depending on how much coffee we drink in the morning, and that goes through some water. So, yeah, I mean, you got to be smart with water. I totally. If think. you're cooking with water, you yeah, need cooking more, with or water. like a like oh, yeah. doing a mountain house or freeze dried or yeah, something exactly. like that. So yeah, that's probably the next step. Is I mean, what are you gonna what are you gonna do for food, or what are you gonna you know what are you gonna pack? I mean, food can be heavy. Yep. So it's I, I try to stick to a pound and a half of food per day. That mm-hmm. tends to, to to be about right for me. And we've done before where we break up our food in daily rations. Yes. So in one Ziploc, we have a day's worth of rations. And then we try to calorie count that out. It seems like at the end, you always end up with an extra day's worth of food. But, you know, for, for me, I, I, I like to have enough food to eat and good food like i don't like to starve back there i've done that well it does multiple things for you 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 got your like well how we usually run it splits into a you got a couple little bags of treats and stuff and everything goes into one gallon bag that you have and that's your day that's your whole day so it does a couple different things for you it's easy access you know where it is and another thing it keeps kind of track of how many calories you're actually eating mm-hmm. i mean you at end of the day and you're like man i haven't touched anything yet i mean that's not that's a that's a bad sign mm-hmm. i mean so it's it does a couple things for you, you split it up and, and another thing it hopefully it keeps you at all your you know all your sugars and stuff <laughs> you can go through the first couple of days go through all your really good stuff now you're hitting your buddy for his good stuff so yeah you gotta kind of keep track of what you have and you know so you don't run out it, it helps ration it yeah, out exactly. for the entire so, trip doesn't it <laughs> yeah. so you yeah. yeah so you don't eat all your good stuff up front but yeah and you want food that tastes good and in elevation it, it's a it's it's a suppressant to your appetite, you know? And so, you know, you're not as hungry up there and you're pushing so hard, so much phys- physical exertion and your body's, you know, burning its fats and things. And so a lot of times you just have to make yourself eat. And so you want to have good food up there and, and food is calories and calories is energy. And you know, you're going to be, you know, up there, you're, you're going to be burning more calories than you can stick in your body. Yes. So, you know, I, I, I used to try to shoot for about 3,000 calories a day, and I can't seem to eat that much. I like a lot of snacks and things, mm-hmm. and then a good meal at night, maybe a good meal in the morning. My, my you know, I, I tend to be pretty good around 2,000 to 2,400 calories a day, and I have to work to take that much food down. But like you say, it keeps you healthy and keeps you hunting hard. Like, you don't yeah. want to get worn down. Like, up there in the mountains, the wilderness hunting is so tough on you. Like, the most important thing you know, besides all, you know, or above all these things that we're talking about, the water, the food, the gear, it's mindset, it's mental toughness. It's, mm-hmm. it's this, 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 you set your mind to just to be able to endure it, you know, whatever it is, because it's going to throw challenges at you. And like we were talking before the podcast, just running through some ideas, but like grizzly bears and nobody will hunt around in these mountains anymore because mm-hmm. of grizzly bears Our lightning storm experiences and the lightning that we get into. Like you're going to face that. You just have to have confidence in your skills to put yourself in a safe place and ride it out. It's part of the adventure. Well, that's probably, I mean, it's a, it's a great point, and that's probably the next thing is the gear that we have to bring with us and what we choose not to bring with us. I mean, how many pairs of socks are you going to stuff in your backpack? You know, we're going for these, you know, eight to How nine. many do you bring? You know, it's tough. I try to do a minimum of three. That's what I, I was going to say, two to three. Yeah. So I'll reverse them. I will. If I mean, I've never actually washed it. I should. I have in the creek. Yeah. I've rinsed them out and just let them dry. That's a good. I, I think we've done that. We definitely did that in Utah. I remember doing that. Um 
So yeah, I try not to bring too much stuff. Minimalist. Yeah, I mean, like a, a pound is just so much more exertion up yep. a hill. Like you got to start thinking that way as a backpack hunter. Because when we all started, I started packing way too much oh, gear yeah. all <laughs> over the mountain, <laughs> yeah. and you can't get anywhere. You're yep. not effective or efficient. And so, like what we try to run for like a multiple day endeavor and we you know i always have my scope and my tripod for yes. muleys you do too a it lot must, of times we bring must. two just to be able to field judge and keep track yep. of them but you know i usually try to shoot that 40 to 45 pounds for a multiple day trip and if i'm going five days or less or six days or less i'm trying to be 35 to 40 i was gonna say 30, and, yep. yep and if i'm going for a weekend or a three day or i'm 30 to 35 yep you know, I just try to go as light as I can. I'll leave my stove. I'll, mm -hmm. I'll, you got to have the necessary items well, to be able to survive. Well, that's a good thing when you hunt with a buddy, okay, yep. now all of a sudden we only need one tripod, one scope. Some of the time, not always. We really do. We share quite a bit. Yeah, and but like the stove, we both don't need to bring a stove. We both don't need to bring gas. There's no way. So mix it up. I'll even grab a couple bags of your, your food for you for, and then you grab the, you know, the stove and, or the, um, the coffee pot or whatever we use for that, you know, the mm -hmm. press, because the, the press coffee up there is just a must. Um, yeah, so you just got to, yeah, it's, it's, it's splitting just weight and splitting gear. I mean, how many days do you go wearing your same um, pullover hoodie? Be honest. <laughs> uh, I I usually have to bring a change, and so I wish I could say I you ran start it for smelling the whole trip. yourself. <laughs> oh, I do. I'd say I I always run it at least three days. Oh, at and least. I'd say five yeah. is getting to be my it max. Is. It like, starts getting kind of crispy, like stiff in places. Oh, it does. And, it's horrible. And you got to hang it up, take yep. it off during the day, and get some sun on the skin, and just hang it up on a tree or rub it on a bush, and just get a different smell going for I, a while. I bring one shirt change out. Yeah. Sometimes I just bring the one shirt. Depends yep. on how long the trip is i should be better at washing it just be as minimalist as you can yep. it's what you should do every time you come back from a backpacking trip or a scouting trip is lay out your gear and see what you used and see what you didn't yeah what'd you not touch? cut out the stuff that yeah. you didn't the other day i went through my backpacks mm -hmm. and i started cutting weight off my backpacks i was able to cut i mean i started cutting extra webbing and strapping and you I don't was gonna say clarify cutting weight off your back I, I did not <laughs> like uh i was able to cut quite a bit of weight off my expedition pack which i'm super psyched about oh yeah like i you know for me i just don't need all the features i want a minimalist setup and yep. being a wilderness guy it's just so much exertion to get it back there and so like uh extra straps and extra weight dude i was able to get that pack right where i wanted it like i told mm, you and yep. showed you my pack i had a pile <laughs> of stuff i had cut yeah, off that's of awesome it. I think. um but yeah i just trying to get that thing as light as i can um the the pack weight is another major one that guys look at but it's a fine line. You go too light with your pack, mm -hmm. and you don't have the right support to pack that kind of weight you need to and getting that deer out. We both have gone too light before, sub-three-pound yes. packs. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yep. yeah. I mean, we thought it was the right move, and it, it wasn't. I mean, as soon as you put weight in that thing, it was awful. It was freaking horrible. Yep. I mean, it was nice going in. It was great. Like, man, this is the way to way to go. These little hippie packs, this is awesome. But it's no, it didn't work out. Yeah, it's a fine line. Yeah, you got to have one that packs the weight decent, too. And and my saying was always, um, it's always uncomfortable when you get 100 pounds in a pack. Mm -hmm. Like, it's never comfortable, but... I, I've kind of changed my theories, and I think you got to find that middle ground with a pack where it packs the weight well, um, but also is is lightweight. And um, 
you know, I think it's a fine line with everything. And in about every decision we make in the backcountry or hunt in the wilderness, you know, we've gone too far one way and then kind of set yeah. back the other side. Yeah. I mean, we use, like, for your shelter, for instance. Like, we yeah. Oh, yeah. started, and then you go lighter and lighter, and pretty soon you're using a bivy sack. And then you're using a bivy sack for a five, six-day hunt, and you're just getting peppered with hail and <laughs> rain and, bugs like, and a bugs and, yeah, and, and trying to breathe inside that bivy. And all of a sudden you're thinking, this isn't a good deal. And, and then the condensation, getting your bag wet. And so pretty soon then, you know, and, and then you tried the other way where you pack too heavy of a tent in. Like, oh, I want a two-person for me and store my stuff mm-hmm. inside. And that's not the right way to go. Like, you got to find that middle ground. I'm For those one night, like, definitely, definitely one nights. Yep. A bivy, you can't beat it. For, like, a one dude, night, no, it's like, dude, we're going to go one night. Who cares? I know. But we barely even bring anything. We'll just survive. It's so light. Deal. You just got to go, like, 25 yeah. pounds for an overnight. I think one of your, your best things, you say it every single time. Yeah, we probably forgot something, but between the both of us, one of us has it or yep. has enough we will survive i mean we make it work a minimalist attitude oh, when yeah. you're a backcountry guy oh shit we share uh game bags like oh i don't have very many game bags oh you might have an extra one i mean we should like ropes and knives and i mean whatever we have to make it happen yeah i yeah. mean weight's a huge deal definitely for the amount of miles we put on i mean it's and you want to maintain the attitude you want to you want to have fun during this experience you don't want to die up there and sweat your ass off and just be miserable i mean you want to actually have fun so you got to set yourself up so it's not burning you out mm-hmm. i mean you stay in great shape all year long you really do so i mean you're able to i mean travel those miles like a madman i mean you just go for it and that's it so it's killer so for me in the off season like right now it's getting serious i'm I'm working at it, getting going to get caught up, and I will. I will get caught up. I'll be right with you the, the all season. I know I will be. But, I mean, you got to work towards it. So it just, I just picked up a better uh, lightweight tripod the other day because I know that's a problem with really good glass that we have, that really good glass. And, and my stuff's getting kind of old, but they're heavy. Mm-hmm. I mean, my spotting scope is pounds. And then another thing is um, our, our binoculars that we wear on our chest. You forget about how much those things weigh bouncing around on you all day long, too. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of weight. You always weigh your pack, but in that yeah. pack weight, your bow weight isn't included mm-hmm. or your bino harness or the clothes you wear on your body. So really, when yeah. I when I t- say 45 pounds going in or I like to be 43 for yeah. a 10-day hunt or whatever, but that 43, all of a sudden I've got two pounds of binos <laughs> and I've got eight pounds of bow with me. So pretty soon I'm bringing – you know, yeah. with the clothes I have on me, 60 pounds worth of gear in there. Oh, yeah. But I, I don't know. I, I like to try to get it as light as I can. But there's necessary items in there there that you need. And sometimes being a minimalist will bite you, too, where you don't have everything mm-hmm. that you need. You know, Allen wrenches are a good one. They're really yes. heavy. You always have your Allens on yep. me. I've gone back and forth over the years, and I paid for it where I have a stabilizer come loose or I, yep. you know, I have something come loose and I have no Allen head. <laughs> I, did, I have all the stuff in the truck. And I like you, so you just have to go through your gear time and time again and see what you really need and what you don't, and try to cut out what you don't. But work as a team, too. I mean, well, you don't need double of everything. I mean, you just got to remember that. That's good, dude. Your buddy's got it. You'll be fine if you forget something. You're you're so right. You know, that goes a long ways. So I think it's pretty good. Another thing that I hear a lot of comments on, and I wanted to bring this up the other day to you. Yeah. Um, people think we're crazy that we run tennis shoes everywhere we go. Up in that high mountain, they're like, how do your ankles support all that weight? How do you run, run those mountains, those rocks, those rock slides? I mean, how do you, you know, I, I guess I don't really know the answers. I used to have pretty weak ankles, I guess. I used to roll them quite a bit. Not, never to get, like, a, in a really bad bind. 
um, swell up a little bit, but just still still run it. So I'm not really sure, but I I totally believe in it. I mean, how much there's probably a saying out there or, or an equation to tell you how much weight um, your boots like add to everything. Add how much weight like two pounds of boots is probably a lot on your knees and a lot on your legs. I mean. And I I have a saying: a pound on your feet is like ten on your back. Yeah, so just the exertion level. Like in a day, like in wilderness hunting, you may take forty thousand steps. Mm-hmm. And if your boots weigh a pound more than tennis shoes, that's forty thousand extra pounds on your legs <laughs> you lifted. Yeah. Like that's why you're more tired when you go to bed. And oh yeah. I. I I think it's a fine line, and it took a while to convince you. You still wore oh, yeah. the boots for yeah. a while, yep. that, and I do like the ankle-high boots. I do think mm-hmm. that's a good backcountry well, boot or a good yeah. mix, like a trying to get it as light as you can. But, yeah, wearing the tennis shoes around, you just get used to it. And, and through the trail running and training, like I just trust my ankles, and they yeah. never really go out on me up there or never really roll them. You know, there's advantages and disadvantages. I think side hills definitely tougher in tennis shoes, mm-hmm. but just getting rid of that weight—it's just so much less overall, exertion on overall, you. Yeah. And I think you still need a waterproof pair so mm-hmm. your feet don't get soaked. And like what we're doing tomorrow, I tried to wear tennis shoes the other day on a run with gaiters, and my feet got soaked. Like that yeah. just doesn't work in a foot and a half or two feet of snow where it's wet. With that, you got to wear the ankle-high boots. So I think it's the right shoe for the right application but up there in that early season for that early bow season tennis shoes stock so much better than boots too you're so much quieter you know you can they dry out quicker too they dry out quicker that's a good point so yeah we just get away with tennis shoes up there in some of the most extreme country and i see you know i just don't need sheep boots to be up there and up in that sheep type country like i just don't need them for what I do up there. It's amazing what you can get away with and just the less the less weight, the less exertion on my legs day in day out. But, you know, I know some guys do good with boots and they they side hill better. Mm-hmm. They'll also give you momentum when you're hiking. They don't stock as good. They definitely don't have the feel of the terrain for yes. bow hunting. And I think that's a lot of times why we gravitate towards the shoes, but um yeah, for me and you, guys like me and you, we just make them work, but I we're all individuals and all have to make our own choices. And you made ankle high boots work for years and even high boots. And I did too. Well, it makes me laugh. I'm thinking about getting up in the morning, rolling out of the tent or the bivy and lacing up my boots. You know what I do now? I literally take my feet out of the sleeping bag and I just slip them in a pair of shoes and I'm off. Like <laughs> there's no, they don't have laces. I just, I mean, it's just kind of crazy the difference. And I've been doing it for years now. I mean, I, whenever I have the opportunity to, I mean, run tennis shoes all the time. They work, don't they? Oh, yeah. I, I, I believe in them. So. Yep. I just love being light. I love feeling light on my feet. And, um, you know, I've, I've also, there's times when you're bow hunting where you have to cut an animal off or you got to mm-hmm. hurry up and cut the distance. Like even on a stock, like if he's a long ways away, you want to move quick at first out of sight and try to get there before that deer rebeds before that elk puts away to bed where they kind of mingle around and feed before they bed down and so you know you're you're constantly jogging to try to cut distance and things and you just can't jog in heavy boots but you can jog in tennis shoes so a lot of times it makes the difference on a stock so it seems counterintuitive and you definitely got to find the right pair and it's got to be right for the individual but 
I always say wear what you're comfortable with. And I work carpentry in them. I climb roofs in them. Like I can't climb roofs in boots. They're just too slippery up mm-hmm. there. Yep. I'm, I'm agile in them. Like it's what I wear all the time. And so I wear them almost all the time when I'm, when I'm hunting. I love tennis shoes just like you do. Yeah, so I'm the opposite. My job, I have to wear boots. I have to wear the steel toe, heavy, gnarly, nasty oh. boots. Don't tell OSHA what I'm wearing, by the way. <laughs> yeah. And I, I'm up and down stairs nonstop. So, I mean, just to get down to the first section is like 88 uh, stairs just to get down. I mean, that's not even into the main floor oh, yet. Wow. I mean, that's just every single day you're up and down. I mean, it's just crazy how many stairs I do a day. But probably for my legs, it's a good thing during, you know, yes. at work doing I'll it. Oh, train with heavy weight but on your legs. when I get home, the first thing I do is I get rid of those things, put the tennis shoes on, and it's just like, oh, I feel like I have a ton more energy. I feel like I float around the mm-hmm. house and I'm ready to go jog or do anything. I've been wearing my heavy boots lately, oh, yeah. skiing, and and then I've been wearing them at work because we've had two feet of snow yeah. around here, and I got to keep the snow out of my shoes, so I've been wearing them at work. But just the exertion, just all day long. I know what you're saying. Don't you think it'd be safer to wear tennis shoes? Like I've heard steel toe can cut your toe off. Okay, so the, uh, yeah, I should probably specify. You can wear steel toe, but what they recommend is the comp toe. The uh, what's com- that? It's like um. It's not metal. It, it'll it'll shatter before okay. it pinches your toes off. Okay, that's new. Because they used to require steel toe. Yeah, used to, but not any, not really okay. anymore. Now it's just like comp comp. What am I thinking? Probably everybody listening. Composite. Yeah, there you go. Okay. Like a composite type of deal. It's probably like a hard plastic okay. or whatever. You know? Yeah, I, re- I remember taking a couple of construction jobs where I had to wear boots. And yeah. It's just the worst. That's horrible. But don't you think it's safer to wear tennis shoes where you're more agile, you have more balance, mm-hmm. like walking walls up top oh, and man, walking everything. roofs? Yeah. And I just stick better to them, and I just have more confidence in them. So I wear them all the time. So in the backcountry, it just feels normal. Like I run in those things all the time. and. They have their drawbacks, too. Like you say, during, you know, deep snow, like what we're going in tomorrow, like they just don't work. Your feet end yeah, up getting soaked, soaked. In, socks end up soaked. But I, for most conditions, I'll even run them in wintertime in snow. Just tomorrow, it's so wet. Well, you late know? season this year with me, I was running more back to my kind of taller boots, and my feet froze. They were miserable. I didn't like them. I didn't like how stiff they were. And I look over at you. I'm like, you're still running your shoe, your tennis shoes. There's six <laughs> inches of fresh snow on the ground. You're still rolling your tennis shoes. And you're like, well, they dry out faster and they're more comfortable. And so then I tried it the next day or the day after. And I was like, well, yeah, what's the difference? Yep. You know, you I've convinced my dad of it. My dad's yeah. wearing tennis shoes. Every <laughs> yeah. hunt he goes on now. Yep. And he believes that your feet keep warmer in tennis shoes than they do in boots. And I, I'm a believer in this, that the boots – they insulate your feet from getting warm. So yep. if you're when your feet get cold, they all of a sudden cold. that cold just stays in your boot and won't mm-hmm. get warm to where a tennis shoe, it just seems like it, it breathes a little bit more or mm-hmm. something, but you can get your feet warmed up quicker. I like think it's you, true. I get my feet get cold at work um, running those steel toes or composite toes on those big boots. And they once they get cold, they stay cold the rest of the day. I mean, unless you take them off or something, but they're cold the rest of the day. And another bad thing is these boots, they make your feet sweat, you know, so then, of course, as soon as your feet start sweating, you're going to get cold eventually, and they're going to be miserable all day. These shoes, I think they, when you're running them and moving them around, they got enough airflow that they dry out. They stay dry on your feet. They're probably a lot better on your feet, too. Oh, yeah. So those blisters, or you know how your feet get all... Like a soggy. Yeah. And the wrinkly, like the hot tub, swim pool, wrinkly feet. (laughs) I call that. uh, I was just telling Holly about that last time. What is that? It happened in World War II um, where where a trench foot 
That's what it foot. is, his trench foot. If you look up on the internet, like in World War Two and Vietnam, yeah. like it's so wet and soggy yeah, every place feet, where oh, they were in battle nasty. that their feet were wet all the time. Mm-hmm. Trench foot can happen. God, I was just reading this the other day. Trench foot can happen. It's something like 16 hours you can develop trench feet on your feet. It's the worst when you get your boots wet. Or well, you get those really gnarly deep uh, creases. Yeah, crevices. Yeah. That's exactly yeah. what it is. Is is like when your when your feet are waterlogged. Yeah, mm-hmm. all the little lines in your feet and yeah. pressure points, and then those start to just hurt. But isn't that the worst? You oh, start man. to really look out for it. You do not want to get trench foot. The trench foot's bad. Yep. I, I got that hand, foot, and mouth deal in Colorado one year. That was bad too. That was a don't bad one. don't get that. Don't okay. go on a high country hunt with that going on. Yeah. Oh boy. Yeah, it's just timing, isn't it? I'm I'm always so paranoid. I'm gonna catch the flu before a big hunt or get sick with a cold. Or not that you can't deal with a cold or a sickness or a little bit extra, but you just want to be at your full potential when you're back there. So. I hate that feeling when you're getting ready to go for a hunt and you're like staying away from other people and just like staying at your house and just kind of super staying healthy and just kind of watching out for yourself and protecting yourself. And I almost get a little paranoid about it. Oh, you, know? I it's like too. I, you know, the kids are coming home from school and you're like, please don't get anything. Don't bring anything home. It's just like, oh, man. Yeah, it's kind of funny. Yeah. Holly just had. Well, it's it's been through the house, so you're not in any danger. But yeah, Holly had came back and had influenza and mm-hmm. then taylor got it and around the house i mean i wasn't going for any hunt so if it's my time to get sick it's my time but um yeah i skated by that one i i, I one a year will get me you know there's just so oh, many yeah. that go through the house and things and you're exposed to them i mean mm-hmm. you know i sleep next to my wife in the same bed like you're exposed yeah, to it we're all touching yeah. the same door handles but I started like uh, bleach wipes, wiping door <laughs> handles, and like uh, falling around I, and I cleaning. Was. We were trying not to get it, but yeah. um, I made a mistake. This is the first year ever, unless you know, probably in high school, they probably made us get them. But first year in what twelve, fifteen plus years, I got a flu shot. Oh my gosh, it was probably the worst mistake so far this year I've made. I've you ended I, up getting the flu, right? Oh, so bad. <laughs> that, that RSV or whatever, like oh little kids get. I mean, it's like super, super bad for your lungs and everything. I mean, I got that. I got the flu. I got, I mean, I was, it was awful. I was so sick, so miserable. So, yeah. I get paranoid. My family gets annoyed at me because I'm always asking when somebody's sick, you know. What's what's your (laughs) symptoms? Are you sick? (laughs) (laughs) uh, What's going on? Yeah, totally. They all know around the house. Yeah. But, um, Let's see what else. What else do we re- usually run? What, so yeah, your thought? so it's mindset. It's get, it's getting your pack figured out. I think it's taken those scouting trips are such a great early learning tool. So you're just choosing. You know, you're 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 looking at Google Earth and you're looking at maps and you're ch- you're choosing drainages that you want to get to. You're trying to find water up there. And really, those scouting trips they play they pay such dividends come season. And not only from finding animals, but just the confidence that you gain backpacking around, the comfort level you get with being in the wilderness and being okay with storms and what Mother Nature is going to throw at you and and, uh, the dangers of predators and things. I think those scouting trips are key, getting into country. Builds confidence a little bit. Yeah, I think so. Getting familiar with it. like. Making it your new normal, being able to go out and push yourself for a weekend. And what's the best way to get in shape is by doing it. Oh, yeah, it's the best. Doing what you're going to be doing or what you're training for is probably the best 
best method. I know? think so. You know, and, and I like to put in, you know, you can only backpack and scout certain seasons, but it is fun to mix up your exercise by, you know, doing things that we're doing tomorrow, like going mm-hmm. horn hunting yeah. on this big endeavor for multiple hours, multiple elevation and miles. Like, that's a good workout. I always like – I also like to put in the work throughout the off season throughout the weeks at trail miles and things but there's nothing more beneficial than the scouting trip like you say because it's it 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 mimics exactly what you're going to be doing hunting season you're traveling mm-hmm. miles looking for critters you put on more miles it's a bonsai usually a weekend trip so you got to two or three days so you put on a ton of miles but you're usually sleep deprived you never know what the weather is going to be so you're going to deal with with weather and trying to camp on the peaks i mean it just feels like hunting it just gives me confidence for season you're testing your gear you know what you're Mm -hmm. using and what's going to work and what's not like I, i just think those summer scouting trips are so beneficial to building confidence and then also learning what the what the animals favor in the backcountry yeah, and those guys that do run those boots, you definitely want to hike in them before you just go off. Oh, yeah. Go, for, go on a hunt. And, like, I got that new pack last year. I mean, you, you want to be able to test it, throw some weight in it, and see how it's going to pack, see what the best way to, to do it is. I mean, I, it's best to test out as much of your gear as possible before you actually go on the real deal hunt, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it, it just... Um yeah, you can learn so much about your gear and then about yourself, too. It's getting your own body mm-hmm. ready for it. Your legs used to the climbing, your back used to the weight of the pack. So I think those are key. And you just kind of figure out your camping system. So, I mean, you just kind of go through it and figure out your essentials. Like, um, you know, you've got your tent and you've got your sleeping bag and your pad. And you can adjust all those, but it's... It's good to find one when you're investing in your gear that'll work for all conditions for all hunting you're going to do. So, um, you know, and we talk about backpacking, backpacking gear before and, and what we use. But, you know, a good quality pad that's got an R value that'll keep you warm mm-hmm. in your sleeping bag. Yep. Your sleeping bag, you know, the, the rating on it is about 10 degrees more as the actual comfort rating. So, you know, I like to run a 15 degree for most times. I think that's a good universal bag. 15 degrees good to 25 degrees it gets you for most early season bow hunting in the late season i'll double up my bags or i do have a zero degree but 15 degree is a good all around and then you can wear your puff ball pants or puff booties or puff jacket i think i run a 25 degree bag because it's Mm -hmm. super light it packs into nothing um and that's that's what you do you Either you put your hoodie on, crawl in, or you have it right next to you, or the puff ball, or just shove it in your footbed. Your feet are usually what get cold. Exactly. First. Yeah. yeah. So just kind of keep it, keep it there. You know, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know if you sleep with socks on. If my if my socks are just a little bit moist, sometimes I'll I'll definitely have them in my pe- in my sleeping bag with me. Um, I like to let my feet air out as much as possible. That's, that's a good move. But keep the socks in there because your body heat actually kind of helps dry the socks out. And they're warm in the morning, so when you get dressed. I usually try to sleep in a dry pair of socks. Yep. It's, if yep. I sleep sockless, like it seems like my feet get a little colder. Oh, okay. If Touching the bag. Yeah, yep. for some reason. Yep. Um, so I'll usually go socks. But you're right. Like drying out your feet such a huge mm-hmm. deal. Trench foot again. Like yeah, it's exactly. about drying out your feet. Well, when we get back to camp, we do it all the time. We both pull our shoes off and we put our feet up and just let them air out. Yep. We do it quite a bit. Yep. Even during the day when we're glassing, it's like, man, I got to get my feet some air. And I mean, it feels great. You got to get them dry. dry. You got to keep them dry. Mm-hmm. And, and you got to be constantly on them. Like I, 
I, you know, and I haven't had a blister in years from yeah. all the trail work I do and backpacking, but not that I couldn't have one this year, but I, I remember, you know, you, you start to get a sore and you can feel a bite on your heel, but yep. you keep pushing, you just keep going and keep going. Well, it's not that bad. It's not that bad. And pretty soon all the damage is done. By the time you take off your boots and address that little pinch you had, cause it gets bad enough, it's already too late. Yep. And now you're going to feel that blister every step for the next seven days on your hunt. So I think it is like, you've got to take care of yourself. And if yeah. you feel something's wrong, your lacing's wrong or a bite on your heel, you got to pull that boot off. You got to relace it. You got to put some moleskin on your heel. You got to you got to do something, but you got to fix the problem and address it and take care of yourself because you're counting on your body to carry you for the next ten days or whatever you have on this wilderness hunt. But yeah, even a sticker in your sock, I mean, is going to rub you or stab you. Man, I just love the wilderness, and I I think it's like I talk about it in its pure form, but it's what I dream about and what I think about all year long is disappearing in the wilderness, finding these trophy critters and chasing them around. And, um, you know, like I, I can't film in the wilderness and hunting's just more important to me and mm -hmm. the experience is more important to me. So, I mean, having a good buddy is key too. And I think we should get into that as well. And this podcast kind of goes all over, but I just get chatting with you and have <laughs> such a fun time. But like, I just, that wilderness, I want to disappear in the biggest wildernesses, yeah. the lower 48 in Alaska or wherever we're hunting, the biggest wildernesses I can go disappear into and go backpack into and count on my body to carry me days on end and go find these animals and be me versus them. But I really think that's mine and yours biggest advantage mm -hmm. is our backpacking skill that we've been backpacking for years. We can go anywhere and live anywhere and it, it takes years to develop these skills and to me and you, it just comes second nature. And I just want to take advantage of it for elk and for mule deer. And I want to go to the, the biggest, wildest places in the lower 48 and go disappear in there with a pack on your back. And, mm -hmm. you know, I talk about the disadvantages too, is the, you know, a lot of times I'll backpack or we'll backpack into a spot that I think looks really good on Google Earth. And I've done all this scouting and we'll go back there and we'll do 15, 20, 25, 30 miles <laughs> back in the backcountry. And I've gone back where I don't see a, a dang deer. Like I don't, I'm going for mule deer. Yeah. I can't even find a doe, much less a group yeah. of bucks. Like it's just, it's part of the nature of the beats mm -hmm. that you got to keep putting in this work and this effort. But when it does work out and you find a backcountry spot that nobody's found or and nobody's hunting and, and nobody's, nobody's hunted, it. nobody's hunted yep. it for years. It's unpressured. The animals grow to maturity and you're back there and it's just you and you found this secret spot. Yep. Like, you, you feel like you found the, the secret to the universe, you know, and it's back there for all of us to find. And there's more backcountry units and spots and you never run out of location. If you have a spot like that, it's public ground wilderness, but you're the only one knows about it. You're the only one back there. It's yours to ruin, basically. But it feels like your own little private little section. I mean, you if you want to wait on that deer for a day or two or three, you can. You can watch him for two days and really get to know him and figure out his moves and where he likes to go and what time does he bend down, when does he get up and go bed down again, where does he go for water, if he even goes, you know, things like that. You are you don't have to worry about another hunter or, or traffic or, I mean, think about the deer and elk um, hunting them in a high pressure area compared to hunting them in the backcountry. They're two different animals. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Completely different. Yep. 
Um, you, I mean, you're just not going to get a second second play on those high pressure. I mean, you blow it up or make one mistake, that's done. It's over with. I mean, I think back in the backcountry, I mean, yeah, you're going to do everything you can to make sure not blow a basin out, but it, they're not hunted. They're not high-pressure animals. I feel like you can almost, I mean, take your time, but I think it's just so much better hunting. It's a better experience. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're back there. You're committed. Um, you're going to choose to to stand to stay the full amount of days that you that you know that you plan for because you just put in all the work to get back there and you are on the quality deer that we found you know over the years i mean you're just you're on cloud nine the entire time it's yours to ruin so it's it's pretty cool experience it's an adventure too. it is isn't it like some of the shit that comes down is crazy (laughs) i mean fighting off bears in one of our deer and and the the storms and then finding water i mean how many times have we went hunting together and one of us is going for a stock and the other guy's backtracking trying to find the other guy's backpack straps one backpack to the back of the other backpack (laughs) and then tries catching up with the guy that's actually stalking i mean that happens almost every one of our hunts yeah (laughs) So it's it's, yeah, it's pretty fun. It's the adventure. Yep. It's it's wild. And in today's day and age, we're just so protected. And you drive from your vehicle into work, which is probably driving your vehicle is the most dangerous thing you do. But you just don't think of it that way. When you're on a wilderness hunt, like the dangers are so present. The decisions you make directly affect your safety in the backcountry and, and your experience. And you're challenging yourself both mentally and physically pushing yourself to your limits and in today's day and age it's just too safe and you know you find a little of that in sports but uh, to be able to dedicate yourself to something and something that you love so much and have so much passion for like i that the, the wilderness like i keep saying pure but it's just the the purest form of adventure that that the, us new age guys can can go have we can cut ourselves loose in the backcountry and go have this amazing adventure, and and it, it it's all affordable, and it's it we can take the time to do it, and we can plan with our family, and we can go have this mega adventure. And success, success is tough. Like it's mm-hmm. tough to to have consistent success, but what is guaranteed is a dang adventure. Like you're gonna go out and and you're gonna be a man out there on the. Well, you gotta rely on the your mountains. decisions. Yeah, your yeah, decisions yeah. are gonna yeah. are gonna get you the in and out. Yeah. I mean, you gotta you gotta know that, and you gotta have enough confidence in yourself and in your body and in your buddy. I mean, you you have to make the calls in there. I mean, you got a storm coming in. What what are you gonna do? What's your what's your plan? You got a bear waiting for you at camp. What are you gonna do? I mean, there's so many things that could happen back there. I mean, how many shoots have we been up? We're like, I think I can make it. Do you think we can make it? I don't know. Do you think we can? I mean, we're up at 13, 14,000 on a sheer cliff going, I think we'll be all right. I mean, <laughs> we're good for the night or we're good for a day. We can make it over the top and go glass this other basin. I mean, we're taking, I don't want to say like too bad a risk. I mean, I think my family might argue with me a little bit on that, but I mean, I'm not, I'm so confident in my, in myself and in you, I don't have to worry about you in the back country. I mean, we just, we make it work. We it's figure calculated it out. And, it um, is. I mean, yeah. Is there, yeah. Could a guy sleep? Yeah, for sure. But there's a risk versus reward. But you're gonna go for it, yeah. and you, I mean, we've we've been on some shale rock shale rock slides that the rocks won't keep you up. You you just keep sliding, keep sliding. If you tip over or roll an ankle, you're done. Mm-hmm. And we've jumped from one little tiny bush to another one. They're like that that little thing. I think is holding some dirt. I think we'll be all right. We've done that. We've we've also turned back if it's yeah. too steep. Oh yeah. And. I think we have pushed past our skill level at times. <laughs> like the one is that backside of that mountain in Colorado that oh, I man. remember climbing up the backside to grab that vantage point. 
And, hey, we um, made it. We <laughs> climbing hand over hand. <laughs> we oh, have man. pushed it at times, but we have also turned back. And I, it, it I is just... like you have to, you have to be able to look at the danger and assess the the danger and the risk. And I I pushed it too far by myself too. Mm-hmm. I remember scouting a spot in Idaho a couple years ago where I thought I could make the side hill around and it got sketchy and then I was too far into it to turn back and ended up going for it. And, you know, it all worked out. I kept yeah. safe. I survived. Yeah. But I, I, after I made it, I thought, next time, I'm just losing all this elevation <laughs> yeah. and I'm going to lose yeah. it all and gain it all because, yeah. you know, in, in the backcountry, the first three rules are safety. You just got to keep yeah. yourself safe. You got to live to hunt another day. And while there is some risk involved, you've got to live to hunt another mm-hmm. day. You've mm-hmm. got to play it right. I, I think it's also important that like a like a good hunting partner somebody that has a similar set of goals as you where you're looking out for each other's well-being you're also looking out for each other's success but working as a team like me and you do has made me more successful over the years uh, me too i've learned so much and then i i like i i remember some hunts where i've i've thrown my bow up to you I remember throwing my bow down to you i mean i, just, I remember doing things like lowering our packs down and then going for it and i just or, or another thing that we do actually really well, have a guy free climb something, either up or down. Have an, Once the guy gets down to the bottom, lower everything down. And the guy that just climbed it helps the other guy out by like, dude, if you just reach down with your foot. I mean, he's his face, his nose is on a cliff. He can't see where his feet are. He's just, fe- you know, feeling it. And you got your buddy going, you know, you, you know, your right foot, just come down another six inches. Take your toe and you'll be right there. Just commit to it and just drop down on it. I mean, we've done that. It's I, I yeah. enjoy that well, when you accomplish it. I yeah. mean, during the thing, you're like you're sweating it out, and you're you're freaky. Like you're talking about that that back shoot in Colorado. Um, I started sliding on that one a little bit, and that little tiny, stupid little sagebrush thing that I was gripping onto was was holding my entire life up. It, it was. <laughs> if I started rolling off that thing, yeah. I wouldn't wouldn't have stopped. Well, I mean. you've got like I've got a little climbing experience. Yeah. You've oh, got yeah. probably more than me. But we've got a lot of confidence. Like, I'm always the high guy on the construction crew that does all the high work on the top of the trusses. And, like, I've just got confidence in my skills. (laughs) And if I keep contact points, I know I'm not going to fall. I know if I can grab something, I'm good. Yeah. I can hold. I got enough upper body strength that I I know I'm good. I'll just crawl with my arms to get myself up there. It's also being smart enough to know what you can do and what you can't. And a lot of times, you got to get your nose up to it to see if Mm -hmm. you can do it or not. And... We've definitely pushed our level, but we haven't gone above and beyond. Like, I've got myself into bad situations before, but I I just know what I can do and what I can't. And when it's when I can't or I don't feel comfortable doing it, I don't do it. But you got to make smart decisions. But with, with having a partner in the backcountry, somebody that you can mesh with and get along with, like not only in climbing, but how much does it help? Like, like just with dealing with the elements or hardship or the struggle or the, the difficulty of the wilderness to be able to have a buddy that you can share that with. It just seems like you can keep your mood better. You can keep each other motivated. Like if you have a positive hunting buddy, now this can turn sour. That's, on that's what I was just going to say is coming back to camp and, and it, not really sharing too much of the downs during the day. Share what was positive of the day, be positive and, and, you know, 
hit on that and boost the other guy up. I mean, that's, that's a cool thing. I don't really have to, I don't have to talk you into going to go look at a buck or to go for a stock or anything. That's, that's what's I don't need to tell you anything. I mean, if you see it, you're going to go for it and mm-hmm. vice versa, you know, I mean, I'm going to go for it. You're out. If we split up, you're out hiking and it's getting later. I'm really not worried. Like oh, Brian, he'll meet, he's got on something or he went for something. He'll be back. It'll be totally fine. I'm not worried about it. You know, it, that's a good feeling in the back of my mind. I'm not worried about you. And I don't think you're that worried about me at all nope. so that's that's really good but you're right it's it's coming back to camp or or during the day something maybe bad happened but we bring out the positive in it like man i mean next time or we should have done this or you know next time we learn from that so we got to do this 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 time and we're always just kind of like working through it and coming up with different ideas and trying to evolve and trying to figure it out and that we we really don't stop talking that much we try figuring out or ideas or i mean something you know yep. it's kind of cool well and in partners they keep you accountable they yeah. keep you you yeah. make all these goals in the off season and you put on all these running miles you get on these wilderness hunts man these things are just tough they're yeah. more grueling than any marathon or ultra marathon i've done it's day in day out and you're depleting your body you're burning more calories than you put in like in in some days the elevation gets to you you can get sick you yeah. can get dizzy you know you can fail on a stock you can be at your lowest low but you know having somebody that you're sharing in that experience and the other thing is I feel no pressure with you. No pressure to go into a spot and find a giant critter. Like, what it is is what it is. If I go somewhere and see nothing with you, well, that's just par for the course. Yeah, We've done that laugh, a million times. Laugh about it, but, and it is what and it I, is. I think that humor is a big part of it. Like, mm-hmm. like being able to laugh at your situation. And I relate it to a lot of these military guys that that life that laugh at at effed up situations mm-hmm. they get into in the military and in 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 different deployments and things and the the more effed up the situation gets the more <laughs> they can laugh about it yeah and i really feel like that's how we handle the backcountry mm-hmm. like when stocks don't work out when uh, whatever it is pressure when we got a big storm coming in like that's the biggest joke of the day is how we're going to get blown up by the lightning up oh, on yeah. top of the mountain or like you find humor in this sick stuff that maybe our well, family you got, wouldn't find humor in you got to like the punishment you got to love the punishment a little bit when you get when it's downright miserable and you kind of somewhat cracking a smile on you. You see your buddy slipping and falling and struggling. You kind of, you're laughing about it. You are, you got a smile on your face. It's grueling. It's painful, whatever. But I mean, that's why you're there. We just spent how much money, how much time, how many times have we talked about going on this one hunt? Well, we're here now. You keep that in the back of your mind. You know, I'm, we committed all year for this hunt and we only have six, seven days, 10 days. I mean, I'm going to give it my all. I mean, I'm not leaving here unless I know for a fact I give it my all. Yeah. You know, so it's like, and your buddy did the same thing. So you're, you're putting in tags with your buddy. He's just as excited as you are. He spent just as much money as you are. I mean, same amount of time away from the, the, the wife and kids and everything. I mean, it's, it's a commitment on mm-hmm. everybody's side. Yeah. Everybody's got to be a team. You can't. <sighs> got to be a good hunt partner too. You can't bail on your guy and no. ruin, ruin your hunt and his hunt. Cause that's what would happen. Yep. If something happened like dude, yep. day three, I'm, I'm done. I'm, I'm over it. I'm done. I mean. Yeah, sorry, guy. I'm here to hunt. I don't know what to tell you. You're gonna go hang out at the truck, and I'm gonna be up here hunting. I mean, that's not a good partnership. I mean, you gotta push through it and and find what's fun in it, mm-hmm. find the enjoyment, whatever it takes. Mm-hmm. I mean, like a few years ago, I got elevation sickness. I was gonna have to drop down. I mean, I was gonna turn around, and come back up, and luck. I mean, mm-hmm. you killed your buck. I mean, it just it is what it is. But we just work through it. It's fine. We work through it. 
Yeah. And we kept it safe, too. Number one thing is safety, bringing you home for your family and me home for my family. And we work, we, we look at, we, we push each other, but you're also looking Mm -hmm. out for your buddy at Mm -hmm. all times. Like that's your fail safe to have two sets of eyes. I don't know if I already said this in the podcast or before we started, but the military has a saying, two is one and one is none. Yeah. And when you have two guys that you can motivate each other and, and, and you want to see your buddy succeed and you want to see yourself succeed. But, and you can, when you're struggling together, when you're, you're in the worst lightning storm and hail coming down, but you can look over your buddy and he's smiling at you because it's funny you're in such a crappy situation. Mm-hmm. Like, and I don't know what that humor is, but... There, there's so much benefit because you're it. doing then, it with your buddy. You're yeah. doing it with, he's he's doing the exact same thing you're doing. He's probably thinking the same thing, and he's just as miserable as you are. And it's funny. It is. It's, <laughs> it's like, so funny. dude, I know how much <laughs> this sucks right now because you're doing the same thing I yeah. am. Well, you, and reliving it with you too. Oh, like yeah. like yeah. even sitting here on this podcast, mm-hmm. I have these feelings and these emotions mm-hmm. of all these tough, grueling hunts that we've been on. Yep. And they've been some of the biggest growing periods in my entire life. Like um. You know, just being able to survive some of those situations, successful or not. Like, I've learned more about myself in those situations and what I'm made of and what I'm capable of than than I have being an ordinary human being on planet Earth. Now, all these wilderness experiences help me, you know, navigate life better. But, yeah, I mean, man, those are, those are the learning experiences, the trying experiences. Like, you grow as a person in the uncomfortable. And on a wilderness hunt... It's pretty much all it is is uncomfortable. I don't know that it's that fun even while you're doing it, <laughs> yeah. but it's fun when you get done. It's a type well, two Well, then why, fun. why is it that's the only thing you think about? I mean, it is. You're, you're almost miserable a yep. lot of the time, but that's all you can think about, and that's all you want to get back to. I mean, seriously, it makes you excited and so excited to put in for that, get that tag and go back up there and do it again. That's so true. It's just wild. It's yeah. While you're up there, you're you're miserable and suffering. Yes. But the moment you get back to your house, the yep. moment you get back, the moment you get in your truck and start driving back, yep. all you can think about is that. I that wish I was back up at that spot. And that yep. struggle and being there again. Yep. And I. Well, it's like those military guys. Like I keep, I I keep relating military. I've, you know, lately I've got so much motivation from those guys. They just build such strong minds, and, mm-hmm. and physically they're so strong. And and what they have to, you know, go about during warfare. Endure. But, yeah. Yeah, but um, but I, I don't know what the point I was trying to make is. But just those um. I totally forgot the point I was going to make. I went off on you were a different going there. You were headed there. I had a great one, I'll, I'll guarantee my, you. But My next point is, like, we hunt really good together. We have for a long time. Um, there's there's that fine line that I feel like we walk where you don't ever really tell me no and I don't really ever tell you no type of deal. Like, do you think we can go up there or do you want to go and check that out? And it's always like, yep, let's do it. Let's go. I mean, it's like, man, there's sometimes where it's like, should we drop down in that chute or can we climb up that? And it's always like, well, we can always try it and go for it. You know, there's like that fine line where a guy needs to be like, no, nah, I don't think so, man. I don't think I can make it. Let's just try a different route. It doesn't seem like we do that very often. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, I remember my point. So the, the military guys, like um, they get uh, during their deployment, you know, it, it's so trying and their life's on the line. And the minute they get out of deployment, the only thing they can be they can think about is being back with their brothers and being back mm-hmm. in warfare, that bond they build during struggle. Mm-hmm. Just the, the humans are made for struggle. It's weird there's such an attraction to misery. It, it, I know. I don't really understand. It's a weird thing to think about, too, you know. It, it's built into our makeup, into our DNA as humans. <laughs> We're meant to struggle and, to you know, 
originally we were, you know, hunter gatherers moving across the prairies, Mm -hmm. trying to kill anything we could to get a meal or scavenge anything we could to, to get a meal. So it's built in our DNA, but well, um, I I don't know. I'd say we take a break here and, um, kind of get a refill. I only wanted to go about an hour, but the conversation's so good. Let me just hit pause and, okay. Um, yeah, no worries. Use the restroom, and then let's get on for another 20 or so, and we'll Kay. wrap it up, get some sleep, and go shed hunting. Okay, sounds like a plan. Okay, so right now we're at my military point. Like, I always g- I get off topic and leave, oh, and gotcha. I can't remember where <laughs> I was at. Yeah. And then you just made the point about um, hunting partners and mm-hmm. a, what was it, support and where we're... Like, almost too much. Like, almost like... Um, oh, there's yeah. W- there's not really a team, team member that... that uh, Never says no, basically. You know, it's always <laughs> always willing to jump in and do the, exa- you know, if you're going to swim across that river, so am I. I I'm going to do it too, you I know. I think it's a good thing. Let's pick up the conversation right. <laughs> right there. Okay, I'm going to hit pause. We'll be back. All Two right. seconds. Okay, we're back. Um, it's just such a fun conversation when you can get one of your good buddies on that's so passionate about bow hunting or as passionate as you are. And I know the theme is backcountry hunting, um, but we get fired up for for all the different hunting we did or do, you know, across Mm -hmm. the West. Um, So, yeah, you were talking about limits. Like, that's where we left off is is hunting with a buddy and limits. And you were saying that we never say no, that we're always saying yes. And I think that's true. I think if personal safety is in the way, we make the right decision. But I, I think... By always saying yes, like I never have to worry about where your head's at. Like I, yeah. Oh, we've taken off from you know backpacking ten miles into a spot and just gone. This spot isn't right. Like let's go to our plan B, and we'll backpack out ten miles yep. and ten miles into <laughs> a different spot. But you never say no, or you're never like your first instinct is always to say yes, or always to go for it, or always to send it. And I think that's what I like hunting with you so much is is that. I, I know you're always game to go all in on the hunt. I like that we get to we get to theorize a little bit. You know, we get to actually hash it out and talk about it. And you know, it doesn't it doesn't. There's no problem, and then it, there's no problem with questioning your buddy. Like, wh- why do you want to move, or why why do you want to push to the next one? Or I mean, I mean that's kind of an obvious one, but like you know what I mean. You can always have a conversation and, and talk it through. Or if you if you feel like this place is warming up, or you actually are seeing bucks, like you want to just get to this next peak. I mean, you talk about it and visit about it. If you want to split up for the day or, or whatever, you know, we just we just kind of hash it out, work it out, and and and. I- you know, get the other person advice or see what he thinks. Or, you know, when we split up, you get back to camp. That's when I really like our conversations. It's like, this is what I saw. This is what I, uh, you know, I found over here. And this by, you know, by what I found over here, you know, you got to kind of compare notes and figure it out from there. Yeah. You know, going down like one or two days before season actually opens and finding those spots and really, you know, really scouting it out. I mean, it's huge. It's the knowledge is just incredible. So you make a good point, though, using both of our brains, and I think it's like mutual respect, and and it's it's also like trying to go into the conversation with no ego and do what's best for the group yeah, exactly. and what's best for the hunt. Yeah. And so when you're talking over a big move, or you're talking over staying where you're at, or finding a new vantage, or what you know, there's a constant decision to make in the backcountry, and when you're by yourself. It, it is nice that all the decisions you make, it's just you and you make them and you go. But 
But with a buddy, you can use that situation to be even better, to where you're using each other's strengths, and then you're using both your brains to bounce these ideas off the stocks and what the bucks are doing and the winds are doing or or where you're going to locate your next buck or what kind of country you have far off. And like you say, we're always willing to have the discussion. And it's not an argument. No. It's, it's like a... But it is a debate up there. Oh, yeah. Because there there are times where you believe in doing one thing is right, and I believe in doing another thing is right, and we kind of hash it out and make our points back and forth. But I'm able to see your point if you make a really good one or make a valid point of what we've seen and what we're experiencing and what we should do next, and you make the best valid point. I'm like, man, let's go with your plan. That sounds better than what I'm yep. thinking. This is what I'm thinking, or this is why I think this plan is wrong. But I... I think you're right, being able to bounce ideas off each other and and then as a pair to be more effective than hunting solo. You you have to be willing to to do what's best for the team, not spook animals, but I I think it is like that venturing off, like you say, a grabbing two different vantage points and and then sharing the information that you gather, finding the animals and then getting together and sharing. And sometimes we'll share a camp together or a hunt together. But we don't we don't even hunt together the entire hunt yeah. mornings or nights. We're just split off in different areas or chasing different bucks. And then sometimes we're together and we got one guy glassing for us and you're looking for one guy's success as you're sending a guy on a stock and then, you know, the next guy gets the next stock or whatever the case is. So I think every situation is different, but again it just goes to having a good hunting partner and, and I you know, a a guy that you mesh with and and all guys I think are good guys out there, but you got to find the the right fit for, for you and what you want to do. Well, I, you know, looking around this room, looking at all these bucks that you got on the wall, I've been on 90% of these hunts. It looks like, and I, I know the story on a lot of these bucks and you being success, successful or me being successful. It's almost the same. We've been on stocks together many, many times, and it's just as exciting being the rangefinder guy as it is the guy with 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 the arrow you mm-hmm. know i mean it really is we have just as much fun eating vice versa mixing it up and doing that i mean you're there as a team you're there to see your buddy succeed and guess what if he knocks a buck down and we got three more days he's gonna work super super hard to help you fill your tag mm-hmm. i mean he he knows because he knows your drive and he's already got a buck down so he's gonna be willing to stick it out and really help a guy out i mean i know yeah. if we, that's how we've done well, it yeah that's what you got to find is a partner that's that's in it for the team and in it for both of you and it it has to be reciprocated both ways like mm-hmm. it has to you want to give your buddy stocks you want to see him be successful and you have to his success is your success and you can't you almost got to lose the competition side of things of of me versus him where it's it's us to be successful we're not racing each other to the buck we're not you enjoy it more that way too um if it's your shot it's your shot mm -hmm. i mean if, if you gave me the same you know i don't have the lane I mean, you give me the 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 go ahead, then that's one thing. But like when we go on a stock together, I'm I don't have an arrow knocked, or I'm I'm helping you. I'm helping you range. I, I'll even leave my bow back and be 100% range guy or whatever it takes. And sometimes going over those ridges, you know how big of an area those bucks go over a ridge. You don't know if they went straight over, right, left, stopped right there, or took off. When when you go over those ridge lines and we're belly crawling or just crawling over it, 
you know, how nice is it have a guy right beside you taking taking 100% of the right side and you get you know split in the the zone and like all it is is just like a like a like a hand grab to the back of the shirt and it's just immediate stop as soon as you feel that not one word said it's just immediate freeze i mean we've done that countless times well that's the fun as the close encounters and sharing that with your buddy but yeah yeah it's like human nature to want your own success and you have to almost change the way you think about things to be a team effort for buddies and you know it's going to work out where you get some and it's going to work out where he gets some but you just try to be the best hunting partner you can and when you find the right guy that you're hunting with he's trying to do the same thing and it all works out no matter what happens on any hunt you're always looking to hunt together again you're always looking to share another camp you're you're always looking to do it again because it works and and I think having a good hunting partner when, when you're hunting the backcountry like that, that's willing to split off, go look at different drainages, is willing to share information, willing to help you get stocks, it makes you a better bow hunter and, and more effective and more efficient. But I also think having the confidence to hunt solo and stay in the backcountry, you have to have that. Oh, for, inst- for instance, you kill a buck opening day. And yeah, we, we usually, we can get away with hanging, taking care of the meat and hanging the, hanging the, the meat for one or two days. We're really good at that. We check the meat all the time, mm-hmm. but there comes to a point where the guy needs to get his buck out. Mm-hmm. And I'm sorry, dude, I still got a tag in my pocket. You know, I'm sticking up here. You know, I'm going to hunt through it and you'll be back when you get back. And we've done that. I've done that to you. You've done it to me. Oh, it's it's you part know? of the hunt plan. Yeah. Like, so it's like, dude, we both have tags and we, yeah. I want you to be successful. Just so. because one guy killed does not mean the hunt's yeah, over. It yeah. ain't over. I mean, well, and that's the attitude you got to have. Yeah. And not that, that I wouldn't pick up my hunt and help you pack that deer out or vice versa. Yeah, You've no. done it countless times for me. And, and I have too. Sometimes it just takes two dudes to get a buck out. Yeah. But you're right. You do whatever you can to help your buddy. Mm-hmm get an opportunity, the same opportunity that you just got. So, you know, you, you mentioned it earlier. You work twice as hard to try to create an opportunity for him. Yep. And, and part of that is like, dude, I'm going to pack this buck out. Let me take care of this buck. You go up to the vantage point and you hunt. I'll meet you back in here in a day. I'll get my buck out. Don't you worry about yeah, it. Exactly. But that's part of just like being a good hunting partner. <laughs> but it's also like um, it's it's all the training you put in like you you got to be tough to set your mind yep. to it that i'm gonna pack the entire buck out myself all the meat the horns oh, yeah. the rack the cape the whatever you're taking out yep. i'm gonna pack it out and i'm gonna meet you back in here well, because you're helping your buddy out you're yeah. not you're not taking days away from him you're not no. take, you're not gonna exhaust him by going all the way out and all the way back in i mean you're you're trusting your guy he's gonna keep hunting and the guy hunting can't uh, get in a panic mode he's got to just chill like yeah buck down that's that's awesome you're super psyched you got your picture i mean we had a blast doing it but now it's go time you know you got to really focus and really dig deep some of those backcountry places um i mean yeah you're in this giant wilderness but these bucks like to hang out in these little patches and so all of a sudden you got a buck killed in one of these patches. He's running with, you know, four or five, six other bucks, and you just took one of the bucks out of the group. Now they're on high alert or they move to a different basin. Or, I mean, worst case, you got to go find another another group of bucks to hunt. You know, you got to be willing to, to pick up the pieces and, and go. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, successful day, everybody's having a blast, and then, you know. But now it gets real. Sometimes it gets harder, and sometimes it stays the same. But, I mean, you just got to be willing to go through anything. Um, these hunts, the, the time is so fleeting and it passes yes. so quick. You think a 10-day hunt is a long time. It's a week and a half. 
it goes by like the snap of a finger. Like pretty soon you're on day four. Pretty soon you're on day six. Pretty soon you're on day seven. Like the time runs out. Like you got to keep your foot on the gas. And it's why you train and prepare so much is is you want to seize the opportunity when you get it, when you get a chance. And and you got to be able to push and cover miles and push your body and push what you're capable of in that backcountry to try to create an opportunity. Sometimes back there, it feels like arrowing a buck or a bull <laughs> is the hardest thing on planet Earth. Uh, yeah. It yep. seems like it's absolutely impossible. Yep. You've had so many close encounters. It's so noisy, like or whatever the conditions are, the, the pressure so noisy, the wilderness, bucks have disappeared, like there's... There's a million different excuses, but you just keep putting in the effort, and it's amazing how many times like you can make it come together. Well, yeah, all of a sudden there's an opportunity, and you, like you said, you d- there's nothing happening. You just think you're just wasting your time and effort. Then all of a sudden, I mean, just the weirdest little thing will happen. We had a bull this year, literally on a string. I don't. I had never seen anything Cross like from it. where we couldn't hunt yeah. to where we could hunt. Just like we're <laughs> drooling over this bull, like man, it'd be so cool to hunt that bull. And we're sitting on this this vantage, just you know, goggling at the at this bull and just going, man, I wish we could hunt him. All of a sudden, it was actually in a different state. He was. <laughs> it was. It was. In the, it was in the wrong state. So we're watching this bull in the other state, like going, dang it, there's the fence line. Pull out me. Yeah, yeah. Clearly, we watched him, and he had some cow. Yeah, he had some cows, and yep. I mean, all sorts of stuff going on. Like, man, too bad, too bad. All right, well, let's go move and get another, you know, vantage somewhere else. And all of a sudden. I think I was, I was like, dude, I think he's moving. I think he's, you know, starting to walk. I like, was like, no way. Yeah, he's coming like this way. What's going on? And he did. He, he, walked, a, <laughs> he walked a half a mile yeah. straight left into where we cows, could hunt him. Left yeah. his cows. Cut off the bull and dang near killed him. Yeah, I mean, it was a great opportunity. I just could I never seen anything like that. It's like, holy cow. Like I said, we just hiked for how many hours to get in there, and we finally get on some good quality bull or a couple bulls. And uh, they're in the wrong state. We're like, dang it, can't even go over there, you know. So it was just wild. Like, two seconds go by, and all of a sudden, there's your best opportunity all year. You know, it's just kind of wild how things change. You got to be willing to to stick it out, though. I mean, it's tough. You got to just keep putting in the effort, don't you? Yeah. And even if it's mission impossible, even if you don't find another critter, the adventure alone is worth it. And I love doing solo hunts, but I don't know. Sharing it with a buddy just makes it that much more fun. Like, just suffering together and and just the whole experience. Like, the older I get, just the more, you know, I'm I'm less focused on my own success and more – more focused on sharing really quality hunts and adventure with guys and pushing my own limits and my buddy's limits and just seeing what what we're capable of. And through that, we'll we'll get better and and kill even better critters. Like it's the love of the game and the love of the process, Mm -hmm. and and that's going to make you better in the end is being able to relax and just take it all in. And look at how many years' experience we've gained. And Mm -hmm. the the scary years are those younger years where you got too much testosterone and you (laughs) push too far, like you say – past your limitations like we've pushed it a couple times just not knowing better but over the years we've gotten pretty smart at our approach and how we go about it and we're super effective and i'm i'm just so pumped this year some of the hunts that we've applied for and some of the the giant wildernesses we're going to go disappear into and and see if we can't go get it done well the opportunities we set ourselves up to to experience and to to put in for we've come a long ways to get ourselves set up so we can do this i mean it's been a long time in the making it's a lot of years worth of work 
you know, it's a lot of, it's a long game training the family, you know, I'm going to be gone for, you know, like last year, I think I was gone for 26 days in a row. Like, you know, I'll see you in a month, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, it's just, it's just kind of wild. I mean, you got to be willing to go for it. Oh, it's it's fun. And it's, your passion right. is so in, important in life oh, yeah. and to have it's like I, your work's important and your, your, your family's number one. And like, but to, to have this passion in life and something that you enjoy with every fiber of your being and that that you think about and work on and like uh, putting so much effort into something like it, it feels really good to have something that you look forward to and that you love to do. And I, I almost feel bad for part of society, like all the problems we have in today's day yeah. and age with depression and anxiety and things of that nature. Like, like they're not backcountry hunters. They're not wilderness hunters. Mm -hmm. Like it, it, it gives a way to just um, soothe your soul or give you something to be passionate about and work towards and, and like something that isn't directly tied to to money or finances. I I don't know. I just it, I always struggle with the words to try to describe what it means to me and why it means well, so much. Personal happiness. God, it just is. That personal happiness yep. is everything, man. Yep. yep. I mean, it's you have this passion, right? You you love it more than almost anything. You just have this passion and but you only get experience maybe like one a year, maybe for for four or five days or one week. A lot of guys get one week off to hunt. I mean, that's that one week. That's what they get. Um, and you have that such a drive and such a passion to do it. And I mean, we're pretty fortunate for sure. Um, but I have the same passion, the drive to do it. But now I got all these these memories and stories that go along with it. You know, I don't just th I think about hunting all the time, every single day, every evening. It, it, it's always on my mind. But it's the memories hunting doing these adventures is on my mind now too you know the stories like it's so hard like even on the podcast i can't i can't tell everybody that, that what what we've been through like it, this, these stories don't do it justice i don't have to tell you our stories because you were there you got to witness it we can just kind of hit on the high points and smile about it and laugh about it and it just kind of brings you back to like man i remember that i remember that experience and it's it's pretty cool you know you got to take advantage when you when you can for sure yeah when you're yeah, some of the experiences, like you say, you do a good job of explaining it, that you can't describe it in a way it does justice. My, my cat's getting a little torqued at you. <laughs> well, she keeps hitting me in my chest. Hey, whoa. <laughs> you little demon. She keeps hitting. Hey, whoa, whoa. You got to just smack her yeah. off there. <laughs> there you go. I thought she's going to bite me. Oh, she kept God. hitting me in the chest with her tail. And cats says, are the me. worst, aren't they? They've Jeez. got such an attitude. They think they own the house. I Demon cat. I love a hunting cat. Like, I think that's fun <laughs> to watch a stalking cat. Oh, yeah. I don't think it's worth it. I don't think I'll ever own another cat. Oh. They just have no respect for your house, for you. Like, if you die in your house, they're going to eat your face. <laughs> <laughs> that's so messed up, but it's true. My cat, she's this beautiful little cat, like half the size of yours. But you leave anything on the table or anything on the counter and you, you leave and it's like, that's her space when you're gone. It must be. She must pace it because when I come home, everything is on the floor. Every single day she knocks over everything. Oh, my God. It's like, are you kidding me? She got in the um, – we got this like medicine cabinet thing in the bathroom. Oh, my gosh. Somebody must have left the, the little lid thing open and everything. It was in the sink. It was floating around in the toilet, in the I mean, shower. She had everything tore to pieces. Gosh, cats are just They're such, such bitches. Oh, they, they are. <laughs> they are. They just have no respect for no. you or anything in your house. No. Um, but to watch a cat or oh, even a kitten stalk and to watch their instincts that they're born with, it, it makes you 
we spend our whole lives like with this passion and trying to get better at bow hunting. But you watch them. They have to kill it with their teeth and their claws. Mm-hmm. And they're responsible for more deaths in, in America oh, and in the man. world. Billions of small birds and rodents. Yeah. But you watch them hunt. And they've got the patience. They'll sit still and they'll just watch flicking their tail. Forever. Forever. <laughs> yeah. And they know, like, when they get close, they know when to pounce. And that it's all in their instincts, too. Mm-hmm. They, they ha- they're they a better hunter as a kitten yeah. than we are as grown human men. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. And they're completely silent. It just It's crazy how quiet they are. I, I like their patience. Yes. To watch them yep. stalk, how long it takes them to place yeah. a paw and another paw and another paw paw how slow they move and how much they watch through the grass and it doesn't always pan out for them sometimes the bird takes off or moves but they're just so slow and methodical like like you can learn so much just by watching a kitten or a cat stalk or hunt those things are killers yeah your cat's evil man she's been getting worse and worse every year she's just She'll eat your face if you die in your sleep down here in the basement. (laughs) Get rid of her before we get too old, man. Oh, gosh. (laughs) I know it isn't that the truth. But, yeah, it's it's fun. The the wilderness hunts, I think, are the – the greatest experiences that we get to have and those are the ones you think back on and you those are those are our big experience hunts you know what i mean those are the ones that are the most difficult but also the most rewarding they are they're like my go-to thoughts you know yeah punishment gotta love the punishment yeah, you got to get comfortable with the uncomfortable because that's what you're going to be for the next few days you just got to grind. It's just a lot of elevation, a lot of miles, and um, a lot of ups and downs mentally, you know. And uh, you can, you know, it doesn't even have to be a miss on a critter, but even like a failed stock or the wind changed and he caught your wind. And all of a sudden, you're into your own head, like second guessing, you know, did I make the right call? Should I have been more patient? I should have waited. Because you've thought about it, you know, all year long, what to make the right moves. But ultimately you know it it comes down to your your hunting instincts which is all created through your experience and knowledge and and gained experience through 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 magazines and and reading articles but also you know podcasts and listening to things and and learning from what other guys have but just the more experience and the more intimacy you can have with these details uh, of animals and what's gone right and what's gone wrong and kind of belief in yourself and knowing that you can get it right like trusting your instincts like uh ultimately that's what it comes down to Mm -hmm. yep and it's fun hunting with other people too it's fun kind of learning like watching other people hunt people have different tech uh techniques or you know, it's kind of cool how some people do it and they're successful at doing it. It's kind of it's kind of cool what different ways they think of scenarios. Sure, and, yeah. yeah. And, I mean, it's 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 neat. There's a lot of different ways to do it, and you know, some people won't like the backcountry stuff. I mean, it's it's a huge undertaking. You know, it really is. Yep. Well, and there's so many different ways to go about it out west and be successful that it it doesn't take be you don't have to be a backcountry hunter, but I just say go experience it, get the backpacking gear and and go have the 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 you know this purest form of a, a backcountry bow hunting you can have and just learning those skills will make you so much better at every other part of your game or every other place you hunt. You're just be willing to go all in. Yep. You're willing to risk it like um you're you're willing to go backpack into spots to see if it's good and 
you know, that's the whole reason we got into that bowl this year that, that crossed the line that we about killed in there. But, you know, it was just risking it. It was just it was going backpacking in into a spot that was unknown where, you know. You can't see it from anywhere else. No, the only I'd, way to do it is I'd to seen some there. elk in there scouting at different times of the year. I'd seen some sign and stuff. And so yeah. we backpacked in there. And sure enough, we ended up being on top of a bull and about killing them. And yep. same thing with, with box. You know, Idaho a few years ago, gosh, I mean, it took us five days before we found a buck. And then we ended up arrowing that first buck that we found or the first <laughs> yeah. good buck that we found. Yep. Found a couple others in there. But it, it was tough hunting. But you just you keep belief in yourself and belief in the system. And you just keep applying yourself and putting in miles and getting into places and, and glassing. And eventually you turn one up. You create an opportunity. And, you know, success is just when preparation meets opportunity being ready for it yeah you just gotta remember what you learned and apply it to your other hunts too yeah you know don't forget that you know this this has never worked out i keep making this mistake well keep that in the front of your mind yeah you know i keep blowing it up at this point in my stock or this always goes wrong or i mean there's there's something i think people fight different things you know i know i know i have my own battles and learn from it and getting better at it you know so just gotta keep in mind what what you're good at what you're not and focus on it yeah, you try not to try to look back at every situation you're in mm-hmm. and try to let your ego go in the situation and look at it uh, with this per- this clear perspective to be able to look at the situation and go, what could have I had done different? How could have I made that work? If I was really going to do it different, hindsight's twenty twenty. what would have been the right move here? Yep. And you just keep learning from these experiences and eventually you start making the right moves because you've looked at it so many times and analyzed it so many times that you just learn from your mistakes and it makes you a better bow hunter. It's pretty easy to figure out if you think about it. If you're never getting close enough, well, then you got to work on your stocking. If you're never actually filling your tag, you're, you're, you are getting shots or, I mean, or you're actually just getting your bow drawn. I mean, you got to work on that you know you got to work on your shooting i mean so you can pinpoint your failures your weakness yeah you can and you can focus focus on that you know yep practice it that's a good point like you look objectively at your hunting and and how it's going and where you're failing try not to let your ego get in the way and go god i am failing don't make excuses yeah every time i get a shot i'm missing the shot like I, you know, I don't need to put my effort into running trails. I'm creating opportunity. Like, I mean, it is you. You do want to. Uh, you you do want to be have all your ducks in a row and be good at every different facet of bow hunting that you can to be successful. But you're right, looking at it and going, what is my weakest point or what is my weakness that I can work on and improve? Like that's filling a hole in your game. You know, and and I I do think you want to be well rounded and have all the necessary skills, and 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 bow hunting will prove that it'll it'll prove your weakness. But I think that's a good point of like really looking at it and and figuring out where your shortcoming is, and then doubling down on your weakness to improve at that. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with picking yourself apart. You know, being honest with yourself and yep. and focus on. I mean, a lot of years I struggled with making a good shot. I really did. I missed many 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 animals and i had to work on my shooting so it's like now it's a daily deal lunch mornings evenings it's it's shooting and the more times you shoot and you execute execute a good shot the chances are you're going to execute a a good shot out in the field the more times you practice doing it i mean you're going to do it 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 becomes second nature it does your bow becomes a part of you and um 
I also think it is the practice and the muscle memory, being comfortable with your setup, learning about your setup. I I, I also think it's wrapping your brain around the execution on, on animals. Yep. And when you get that chance on an animal, being able to, to have those mantras in your head or, or you know, you practice so much, but just being able to go through those steps and aim. Like I like to keep my cool and keep calm and collective in those mm-hmm. scenarios and execute my shot thinking through it. Yep. You know, I don't want to go into autopilot into uh, uh, into this fog of adrenaline and, and forget everything I'm doing. Like yep. I want to walk myself through the steps, say calm and collective and execute my shot. But I, I think a lot of it too is wrapping your brain around that premise is getting through the excitement and the adrenaline rush and the buck fever and learning how to keep your calm and execute yeah, working through it. Yeah. yeah. And I think everybody's got a comfort zone. I, I think, I mean, I know I do. I know if I get a buck, um, re- realistically inside 50 yards, I'm going to kill it. Yep. I, I know I will, you know, so I think everybody's kind of got their own little comfort zone. And if, if you got a buck and he's 80 yards and you're like, you know, at, at home I've, I've made that shot a lot of times every time. Have you? No, no, I haven't. So now you just put so many other factors. You're, you're excited. You're probably not leveled. It could move. I mean, who knows? So it's like, I mean, hunt with like, realize what you're doing and be realistic on your hunting. You know, yeah. you know like it's so easy to get caught in that trap of the long range game yeah. because you can make a shot out yeah. there at those distances. Mm-hmm. But like you say, it's not consistent. It's not every shot. It's not a hundred percent. And it's different shooting in your flip flops in your backyard with no excitement to shooting at a 190 inch deer that's standing broadside yeah. at that distance. Like I, uh, I, the quicker you can wrap your brain around getting closer and getting to a hundred percent shot, the more success you're going to have. It's a trap to be able to shoot these long range bows, oh, this long range accuracy. You want to be as good as you can, but you don't get caught in it. And I think you're 15 to 20 yards worse where you are a hundred percent out in your backyard is where you're at in the field. And like my newest thing is my kneeling shooting. Like okay. I think back and, and, Half of my animals I shoot at or that I kill are from a kneeling shot. Dude, on my kneeling shot is 15 yards worse than my standing yeah. shot. Yep. It's just you just don't have the lower portions of your body to to stabilize yourself for that shot. Mm-hmm. So as I start shooting kneeling and I I shoot kneeling and I you know, I've always shot it over the years and I always know I get a lot of shots, but as I start shooting it religiously and, and start practicing it, I noticed that if I'm shooting a kneeling shot, I better be 15 yards closer yep. to really aim and execute a good shot. Mm-hmm. Like I'm I'm 15 yards better standing. And standing, I'm 15 yards less than what I am in my backyard in flip-flops. Like realistic maximum yardage is so important because you get caught in that trap. You're fling, flinging long-range shots, and you're just missing a lot, and you're messing up opportunities where you could stalk closer and actually kill that thing. I believe in that. If you hunt in reality, and you 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 miss you miss an animal, and but you shot from a place where you really thought you were going to hit it, um, I don't think it's going to mess with your mind as much. I don't think. I think you start taking those risky shots, and you're you're kind of like a panic, and you're you know something's happening. <laughs> It's going to change your mood. It's going to change change your outlook, and it's going to make you start second guessing yourself. So I just think you really need to stick with what you're comfortable with and what your where your confidence confidence is. Like this last year hunting, my goal was to be, 
you know, inside 60 of every single animal I killed last year was my goal. And so I was starting to get, you know, if you have that goal in your mind, all of a sudden you're, you're into, you know, 50 and 40 and 30 yard shots, you know, I mean, it's going to give you the opportunity on those, those really, really good high percentage shots. So I just, the more you can crawl in and get closer and it's the less things that are going to happen, you know, mm -hmm. if you can get into that range, yep. you know, out West it's, it's hard. Yep. You know, hunting this prairie, these antelope, getting in 30 yard stock is nearly impossible. I mean, it's going to be tough. It does happen though. It's it a, does. It's you a just got to work at it. Yep. Catch them in the right spot, cut yep. them off in the right place. Yep. But yeah, I, I'm with you, man. It is, it is a, it is a mindset. And it's getting close and killing those things. Yep. And uh, when you have that mindset, it just seems like you're getting close. And, yeah, you may mess up an opportunity here and there. Um, but but ulti ultimately, the, the opportunities you, you are going to get are going to be higher percentage. You're going to make those shots. And you're going to be kneeling behind a trophy in the end of the day. Well, what's the best? I mean, the you've never had a better feeling of, like, what I had – this last this last big buck I killed this last big muley I killed, it walked out and I knew it I knew how far he was he was fifty two yards I knew how far he was and I, I was a hundred and ten percent positive he was a dead buck, I I, was just realistic with myself and I just hundred percent comfortable and I was like dude if you stop I'm gonna send it and I I know I'm gonna hit you where I'm aiming I know I will you know and it worked out great I mean he died right in front of me he flipped over right. Right, I mean, within, you know, 25, 30 yards where I shot him. He was he was dead, and that was it. So cool. I mean, it's the greatest feeling having that kind of confidence in your setup and in yourself. It's awesome. Yeah, walking around with confidence is so powerful yes. in the mountains during hunting season. Yep. If you have confidence, it's going to die because you just know, all I need is a sliver of opportunity. Yep. I will capitalize. I will make my shot. And so that's why you practice so hard all year long, and you set realistic maximum uh, effectiveness shooting you know goals and 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 you stick to those standards and in the end you end up killing trophy critters you yeah. know i think yep. that's what it's all about well right on man it's getting late we better get some sleep go in on those bulls tomorrow see if we can't find a, a big old brown six point is it tomorrow already it is is it really? Is it already midnight? Oh, my gosh. We're not going to get much sleep. Well, right on, man. It was a really fun <laughs> podcast. So much great information. Just so fun getting together with you and chatting bow hunting like always. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for letting me on. All right, man. All right. That's an episode. Well, we went a little long there. I just have such a good time talking to Dan that before I know it, an hour and a half cruises by. But uh, just a great conversation, um, you know, entertaining, just mixed in uh, with us laughing back and forth and then just talking backcountry bow hunting. Um, so, yeah, I can't wait for um, season. I just um, I, I really feel like it's the, the purest way to bow hunt is with a backpack on your back and um just takes so much effort to get anywhere and in the backcountry, and then you're surviving and relying upon your own skills to keep you safe and and uh, keep you hunting and, and into critters. Um, I just love it so much. It's my it's my favorite way to hunt, and so I just want to sit down and record one. And um, like I say, Dan's the perfect guest, and thanks to Dan for sitting down and always recording podcasts with me. Sometimes I'm a little late getting them out. I think we recorded this one gosh, maybe a month or so, or maybe more ago. So um, Dan's always a good sport. He's always up for recording a podcast, which I really appreciate. The guy's just a great hunter, super passionate. And um, yeah, I've just, uh, 
Uh, happy to call that guy my friend for sure. So sponsor for today's show, uh, we have Matthews Bows. Again, I'm just loving on this Matthews Verdicts. And if you're in the market for a new bow, you know, I suggest just shooting them and just getting a feel for it. But um, Matthews is building such a forgiving bow. Um, they're getting good performance out of it. Uh, it's quiet. It just checks all the boxes for me. So I'm loving on this thing. It's been great to me already in 2019, and um, I, I see great things for to come for this bow and me for the rest of the years. Thing um, I've got a real connection with it. It's just absolutely shooting. So make sure to check out Matthews. Uh, make sure to check out Tech New. Uh, their Tech New Original, good for poison oak, poison ivy, removes the oil. Also, uh, be on the lookout for their first aid gel, which is an amazing product that I know everybody in our office really likes. And um, yeah, with that, gosh, things are clicking by. It feels like we're into summer. I'm ready to do some fly fishing. Yeah, these um, salmon flies are starting to come off on the Henry's Fork. Next will be the um, Big Hole and then the Madison, the river I'm on. And so, yeah, I start traveling around here and throwing a big dry fly. Oh, man, it's so awesome. Like, it's a three-inch dry fly. And so the biggest fish in the river look for this thing. And plus, it's it's right after high water. And high water, you know, it's all the snow melt and everything from the mountains. And so the, the rivers are running really high, like almost into the grass banks and into the willows and things. You know, it's trying to run outside its banks. But with all this water coming down, it's so much water through the middle flow of the river that the fish can't stay in the middle, so they've got to move to the edges. So they're sitting on these little pockets on the edge of the river, and there's like overhanging trees and overhanging grass, and you you got to, you know, you're going down with a big dry fly, but you're flipping it under brush and back behind logs, and you're trying not to hook it on things. It's so technical. And you make the cast, and then you get a mend into it and drift it down a seam in there, and then there's just a great big brown trout waiting for it. And it's like a like a white shark taking a seal. They come up and grab that thing. It's just some of the best fishing of the year. And it, it brings a lot of the people to the rivers as well. Um, so it's it's probably the busiest time of year on our river, um, but it is such good fishing. And it it's like anything. It's like hunting or anything, you know, that you have to put in your time and effort. You have to see a couple mediocre days before you see that A day, but, oh, it'll happen. So, yeah, I just can't wait. A lot of times bear season's still going on during salmon fly season, and so um, I'm kind of torn in two different directions. But, uh yeah, this year, um, getting my bear down, which was such an awesome experience, an awesome hunt. Um, so cool to kill a nice big blonde boar like that. And and then uh, got a little western and had to defend my position with my pistol. It's just wild. So I'm sure I'll get a chance to tell you guys the story here on the podcast. But um, yeah, it's just a wild encounter. So pumped to kill a nice bear and then, you know, pack them all the way out of there. Just such a great adventure, great season for this 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 year. I love spotting and stalking boat. Uh, bears with my bow it just doesn't get any better so anyways that's done so get to go chase salmon flies and just keep with my training here just keep in this great physical shape i'm in great mental space i'm in um, get my time off for season i cannot wait for fall man we are gonna have some awesome adventures and i know you guys are planning them too um yeah just appreciate all the support uh podcast is doing great i think this month we're gonna hit our best numbers ever which is um which, which is uh i i i'm lost i'm at a loss for words uh, what is it exactly I, you know it's it's uh 
it is so cool that this platform has taken off like that and that you guys appreciate it so much. I get so many messages how it's helping you guys out. That bear podcast, I don't know how many pictures of bears I got where guys say, you know, if it wasn't for your podcast, I wouldn't have sat at this spot for six hours and watched this hillside. But I saw a sign in here. I sat here, and here's the tank of bear that came out that I shot. So it's just so cool that um, you guys are, are getting information from the podcast, usable information. It's making you better hunters and and helping you enjoy your experience out there. It's always funner when you're getting into them, you know? That's for me, too. When it's action, it's like the the funnest thing in the world. And it's these difficult things where it's tough to find action. Like, if you just went in a high fence, it wouldn't be any fun. That action wouldn't. But it's, it's something to where you're hunting this public ground and you have to go out so many days where it isn't great or you don't see anything to get that one good day or that one good weekend or good week where you find that spot or that location that holds animals. I mean, that to me is just the funnest thing in the world. I just absolutely love it. So um, anyways, thanks for all the support, you guys, on the podcast, the downloads. Um, also, uh, iTunes, those reviews really help me out. It's tough. They've got five stars there, and they want you to rate the podcast. You've got to quick click the star all the way to the right. We'll give you five stars. Um, and then, uh, yeah, those reviews really help me out. And then just really appreciate all the support on, on uh, IG and Facebook and that. So, all right, my phone's ringing here. It's the morning time. I better get to work. I'll uh, check in with you guys soon. <laughs>